Right, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Howard Hughes. I'm the CTO for Totothea Maritime. And a big thank you to Capital Link for asking me to host uh, this panel, uh, which I shall probably introduce. So on my left here, um, I have Mr. Stephen Cooper, who is the CEO of Fourth Insurance. I then have Mr. Johan Bacchus, who is the Managing Director for Enaram. Good morning. Morning. And last but not least, we have Professor Michael Lind, who is Research Manager of Rise Victoria and Chairman of Port CDM. <coughs> so good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning. Um, so I have um, Mark O'Neill did the very brave thing of not doing preparation for any questions. Um, sadly, I did think about doing that and putting you on the spot, but um, I instead opted to give you some questions. Now, the panel we have this morning, we're, we're here to discuss uh, about the cybersecurity, digitalization, uh, and where we're going with that. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion, uh, especially in the last two years, about cybersecurity, but what's come to the forefront, at least in the last 12 months, is a lot of discussion about blockchain and cryptocurrency. Now, I'm sure that most of you are aware of Bitcoin, uh, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Ethereal. And Bitcoin currency, unlike fiat currencies like the euro or the dollar, which are backed up by an economy, cryptocurrency tends to be more backed up with uh, the technology behind it. So there's been a lot of discussion about it, and is it good, and where can we go forward? Now, despite that I'm a CTO and I embrace technology and I love it, I'm also, I class myself as being a healthy skeptic. And with cryptocurrency, especially in the last four months, we've seen the Bitcoin value rise and then dramatically fall. So my first question to all of the panel is basically cryptocurrency. Does it have a place in the maritime industry now? If not, when? And would there be a defining moment where the industry as a whole is going to say, okay, this is what we need to do. We need to use cryptocurrency. So, gentlemen, I don't know which one wants to go first. Stephen, maybe you want to go first? Sure. Uh, thank you, Howard. Um, I think we would all agree that cryptocurrency is very much the, the flavor of the month. And unfortunately, um, uh, it has often become the solution in search of a problem. And for those owners and managers who feel that they're not spending enough time on collections in fiat currency, then you can encourage your charterers to pay you in cryptocurrency so you can have problems in two different forms of payment. And I'm sure that this will occupy uh, much of your time. Whereas uh, crypto may not be uh, uh, a solution to problems that we have now. I think the extension of that, the way that it is uh, uh, record-kept, blockchain has very, very wide application uh, in, in maritime, certainly in the way that it can uh, facilitate uh, transactions, help with insuring and transferring risk to third parties. So I would say that um, uh, probably the defining moment uh, in cryptocurrency will be when you return home and your spouse or partner asks you for some money for the household budget 
and the demand is made in Bitcoin rather than fiat currency. So let's wait for that to happen. Okay. Uh, Michael? Uh, I also think that um, since the maritime sector is a highly distributed ecosystem, it will for sure be something that, that uh, reminds about this phenomenon coming up. Uh, so I, I think that, that uh, even though that it might be the fad of the month and so on, I think that uh, it is going to be there. It's going to come. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think it's just about a matter of, of uh, when, when it actually will be stable enough to, yes. to, be, to become a currency. I mean, and, and then shipping, of course, is no different than any other industry. It will, be, you know, penetrate uh, all our lives sooner mm -hmm. or later. But I guess for the moment, uh, we can all see that, you know, st the stability of any cryptocurrency is not worth, uh, you know, uh, dealing with today. Mm. So do you see any form of actual defining moment? Uh, where it would be, or are we just going to look for a period of stability and say, okay, yep, that's good enough to go with at that point? I don't know. Maybe, maybe if central banks start to issue uh, <laughs> cryptocurrencies, I guess that, that would be kind of a defining moment. Yeah. yeah, that's true. So behind cryptocurrency comes the use of blockchain. Now, blockchain, as uh, just mentioned, has quite a wide variety of uh, applications and it's growing literally month by month we're seeing different uh, applications that can be using this now again being the healthy skeptic um, what I've seen in the last few uh, similar events uh, at least for the last, last six to eight months it's been blockchain 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 everyone's been talking about it is blockchain actually going to be this sort of panacea this cure-all um, this ability to solve all our problems, technology related, um, or is it going to be only used in certain areas? Do we actually see this as being something that's actually going to really, really pick up within the industry? Anyone want to go first on that one? Stephen. Well, I don't think that blockchain will, will cure world hunger or uh, you know, help us find peace in the Middle East. But I think that there are applications for blockchain which have immediate and very positive uh, uh, application. Um, you might be aware of the fact that uh, Maersk, which certainly has made the news, uh, did engage XL Catlin, a major insurer, to um, uh, develop a private blockchain. And they engaged in a 20-week proof-of-concept project where XL Catlin obtained extensive information about Maersk vessels, customers, flagging, uh, charterers, routes, expenses, and providers. And with this information, Maersk and XL will collaborate to produce uh, insurance uh, which uh, has pricing which reflects precise levels of risk engaged by Maersk, better pricing, better information, less fraud, and uh, I think that that sort of application of blockchain has immediate applicability, and we will see other collaborations between uh, carriers and vessel owners within the marine industries uh, to very, very positive response with immediate benefit, eventually uh, leading to the attraction of more capital into the markets. Anyone else? 
Yeah, I think um, I, I want to second that the marine insurance is probably going to be one of the first adopters of, uh, of blockchain uh, technologies. Um, we're involved uh, as well as a company together with, with uh, a company from London called Conceris uh, um, in a project uh, where uh, blockchain will be applied in, in, in the marine industry uh, very soon. I would say that within the next 12 months we will see not only Maersk and, and, and Excel Catlin but also other entrants in the market uh, uh, applying blockchain. And I, I think the, the, the reason for that is quite simple. You know. Uh, transparency was discussed already in the, in the earlier panels, and, and that's one of the one of the reasons that uh, that we need to have systems that that then actually can deal with this transparency in in a reliable way. Um, blockchain will have a lot of, of various positive effects, for example, on on, on bureaucracy, uh, you know, paperwork that doesn't need to to be sent all over the place, uh, and and of course it it will be an, an opportunity to, to effectivize the whole, whole, whole uh, way of working. I think the marine industry is a, is a very, let's say, traditional industry in that sense. There's a lot of um, different type of in intermediaries, for example, and, and all of this uh, will be much simplified um, uh, when we have a, 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 a reliable blockchain that, that actually can then um, uh, well, that translates what's happening into, into an uh, untempered ledger, in, in a way. So you hit on a key point there when you said about um, maritime industry being traditional. Um, I've heard the words conservative or reserved being used before. Um, so I'm going to play devil's advocate and say that here we are now talking about blockchain. We have been for the last, uh, say, year, two years. Are we still going to be talking about blockchain in the next 10 years with limited rollout? Or is that, you know, is this something that's going to be adopted so super quickly and set a precedence in terms of the maritime industry? Do we see this as coming quickly or, or slow, based on the conservative opinion of some? I, I think this will come very quickly in certain applications, for example, in the marine insurance. I, I'm 100% I'm sure of that. Then again, you know, whether it will have other applications, that, that's another story. But I think, you know, we, we see that blockchain is coming into banking. It, it's coming into all of the places where you have a need to, to, to specify what's going on and, uh, you know, to, to make um, uh, safe transfers. Um, so so that, that will happen for sure in, in the very short term. Okay. Sorry, Michael, did you want to say something? Uh, I, I think, uh, personally, I am... I, um we have tried to do uh, some insights or research into blockchains, and, and um, uh, I think uh, it must be showing more proof. That, that's enormously important at this point, where we have a situation where, <clears throat> uh, I mean, the, the Maersk and IBM uh, uh, collaboration, for example, is focusing a lot upon uh, come into agreement and trust outcomes, but there's a number of different other applications that would be enormously interesting for uh, of, of applying blockchain technologies, such as, for example, what, what would we do um, if we could uh, even so also push, uh, for example, uh, that the, the um, port industry uh, has a lot of first come, first served. Mm -hmm. uh, could we actually blockchain the agreements in such a way so that we can change this whole situation with, with going towards much more of slot management situation, et cetera, et cetera. I think that is a 
fantastic application if we can come there, uh, but it also needs more proofs uh, of, of that blockchain actually uh, lives up to what we want. Okay. So this leads on to my next question because there was, uh, Johan just mentioned about insurance. So I've got a leading question for uh, Stephen. So when it comes to cyber insurance, let's just say I have a fleet of 200 ships. And from an insurance perspective, do I have to have a bespoke policy for each of those ships? Or could I have a fleet-wide portfolio policy that would actually cover all of those 200? With that in mind, is there something from an insurer's point of view that has to be mandated in terms of are you going to say as an insurer that there has to be a certain type of equipment on board, a certain type of UTM or firewall? What, what's the sort of insurance view on this when it comes to the finer details of protecting against cybersecurity? Howard, I, I, I think that's a great question. We were together a few days ago in Shanghai. Uh, you didn't own any ships at that time, and now you have 200. <laughs> so I would tell you that uh, it must have been a fortuitous uh, I'll, I'll trip. <laughs> yes, it's very good. Um, uh, there are about 50 carriers uh, currently competing for market share in, in cyber insurance. And um, while uh, there are 50 competitors, unfortunately, at this point, we have very little in the way of standardization among those 50 carriers. So in that instance, uh, almost every policy is bespoke. We find that the, uh, the cover has different levels of focus. In some cases, the cyber coverage is focusing on extortionate demands like the non-petra type of uh, incident that we mm -hmm. saw. Other carriers are focusing on broader uh, privacy breach issues. Other policies uh, focus on uh, property damage to overcome the, uh, the CL380 exclusions in many policies. So to start with, while the policy be, policies may not be bespoke, they are significantly differentiated in their templated forms that the carriers are using. But the needs of every owner and every manager are different. I think with any well-crafted approach uh, in the insurance markets to, to cyber, you will wind up with significant uh, uh, modifications in your policy so that your program as an owner will likely not look uh, like anyone else's. So in that essence, once you take that, that template you add the riders and the addenda that you need, you will wind up with something that is very custom tailored, not only in terms of limits and retention, but also to some of the service aspects. Policies vary greatly as to the data security services which are embedded within the policy. So that is another area of, uh, of, of differentiation. So. Uh, we don't see uh, carriers demanding any particular gold standard for systems before they will issue insurance. What they will be looking for is your compliance with the uh, uh, voluntary guidelines put out by many of the trade associations. They will look to see whether you have budgeted for data security precautions, for training of your seafarers, uh, they will look to see if there is a history of any other losses 
And those aspects will really uh, figure into rate determination and as to how the markets view your particular uh, company. So we see no specific requirements from a system standpoint. Uh, they're looking to see that good fend fundamental sound management of data is part of your business and that the manage management and ownership looks at it seriously. So what we're still lacking though is that sort of standardization uh, from there. So you're saying about, uh, you know, I've got one ship that has maybe an $80 Netgear router that's got a firewall on it, and I've got another ship with a $15,000 Barracuda UTM sitting on there. Um, if you're doing a bespoke policy for each ship, surely that one would be the higher risk and therefore paying more. So let's say, for example, my 200 ships aren't particularly well uh, standardized in their configuration. Um, am I going to be paying you know, uneven sort of costs on this based on that. So I'd, I would be forced to actually start upgrading all my ships. Uh, Howard, uh, those of you who have looked at cyber applications, you'll find that they are extensive. Uh, this will all change once we have blockchain technology. But for the time being, you need to complete uh, uh, 24 to 30 pages of questions. It's absolutely numbing. But if the answer to too many of those questions is we have an 80 euro system which is 10 years old and we have not put the patches on there for the last decade, your premium will reflect uh, that level of carelessness. Hmm. So I think the markets will uh, encourage you to, uh, to, to put in the best types of systems, particularly on uh, communications, and I recommend you call Howard on that. <laughs> So while we're while we're talking, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. While we're talking about um, this standardisation, um, should there be some form? This is a question for everyone. Should there be some form of general regulation towards cybersecurity? And I'm asking that as a, in a neutral standpoint. Um, if there should, who should actually be responsible for it? Because the threat landscape changes. Uh, on a monthly, yearly basis. So whoever it is, if it was to be that way, it would have to be very quick. So do we think, there, or do you think, my panel, um, do you think there is actually any benefit in having this regulated? Because it doesn't exist terrestrially. We're gonna fight. Okay, I say yes. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we also need to distinguish um, <clears throat> if you take an OSI model kind of thinking where you would have technological services, communication services, information services, uh, application services, there are different dimensions and there are different regulation bodies for these kind of services. So it's not a, a universal cybersecurity thing that is, uh, that mm -hmm. is needed. It's more of that uh, the different forums or, or um, uh, councils, etc., etc., need to pay attention towards what cybersecurity means for their area of domain. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's no way around it. I think it has to be regulated some way, whether it's uh, more in a in, in a form of a guidance or or, or in, in firm regulation as such. I, I think you know that that's worth a question. But, but I think you know uh, there is there's no way around it. We we have to we have to regulate it some way because otherwise uh, you know it's it's our people who are the, the the biggest risk here anyway when it comes to the whole cybersecurity space. 
and and uh, you know somehow to to uh, how should I say to to train ourselves as people. I mean, we're we're the biggest risk everybody in this room. Uh, you know, it took maybe 40 years for us to embrace safety in the workspace, and, and we don't have 40 years to embrace you know how to work you know in a cyber secure way. So somehow. Um, whether it's, well, let's put it this way, regulation is one way to aid us on the way, but there's, there needs to be, you know, other actions as well. And I guess that, you know, like, like was said here, um, you know, it, it's up to the companies uh, everywhere in the world to make sure that they have their preventive measures, uh, uh, you know, as, as good as they can, because that will have implications not only on their insurance policies, naturally, but, you know, on, on it's, a, it's a business critical issue that will, in the end of the day, you know, sink companies uh, as well. So we better take it pretty seriously. To be mildly argumentative, though, from a terrestrial IT perspective, there is no regulation. Why would, if we're trying to treat ships as an extension to a centralized office, why have we now got to put regulation in for IT that's on a ship when we don't actually have it in the office? Anyone have a thought on that? It's a good question. I'm thinking. Of it. <laughs> yes, it's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said, you know, regulation maybe maybe from a point of view of, of actually aiding us to to do a better work uh, in in the marine industry. Maybe that's that's a reason to do it. Mm. You know, um, but but like I said, that will not take away the fact that we all as companies need to figure out how to secure our own systems because uh, none none of us operate in in similar ways. If you think about a you know a, a, a vessel or or any operation, I guess you know there's hundreds, if not thousands, of different uh, computer systems that mm -hmm. interact with each other. You know, and they're all particular. So whether it's a fort, I don't think even this 40-page uh, document, which was uh, mentioned earlier, actually will will cover all of those aspects of the risk. So we have to understand best how our companies work, what kind of systems we have. And, and maybe the regulation then, you know, is a more yep. general way to aid us on the way. So, I mean, based on that, so, okay, if we, if we get to a point where we can keep our ships regulated um, or with a standardized format, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the weakest link being the humans. Um, before I get to that, because that's actually going to be one of my last questions, um, what about the ports? Michael? Because the, if we have a secure ship, it's still going to go to a port, some of the information that flows to and from ports to ships. Um, even if I've got the best ever cyber system on board that ship, I still pose a risk from there. So this regulation, should it extend to the ports? Because that's now going into the terrestrial IT mentality. Um, so. Uh, absolutely, and thanks for the following up question on the last one. <laughs> I'm sure now, but no. Um, I, I'll buy you a beer later. Yeah. Um, let's say like this. Uh, there does not exist any information without communication. Um, and communication is very much about knowing who is talking, whether I would like to talk to that person, and whether I can trust the information. And what is happening now, uh, and I think that we should be very thankful to the maritime sector, uh, is that uh, that is one party that brought uh, a lot of basis for big data analytics uh, into, into the situation where uh, we are, for example, building um, uh, concepts around uh, that you combine multiple data sources. 
And that is uh, something that creates me uh, or creates a better understanding or a better decision, um, or, or I can make better decisions. Uh, it's for sure so, uh, and the calculations show that there's a great benefit of being able to synchronize ecosystem in, in a much better way. Uh, we are talking about maybe 25 billion US dollars just in fuel savings for shipping companies. We are talking about 12 or a half of that in savings for, for, uh, for the port operators. Uh, so uh, it will be driven somehow because there are so many business benefits at this point. And uh, I mean, me representing the International Port CDM Council, uh, these are aspects that are absolutely brought to the agenda. And then whether that should be regulated or not is, is, is uh, of course, a question that, that uh, we need to think about, but at least guidelines for how to mm -hmm. think about these kind of things in the domains, again, that the, these kind of um, regulating or, or guiding bodies are, are providing. Okay. Um, because I, f I found it quite interesting that while we're, or ironic actually, in that while we're talking about cybersecurity, um, after receiving my registration pass, like the rest of you, I'm sure some of you saw these in a nice little bowl, which is the USB flash drives, which are often seen as being, uh, if you're from an IT world, they're a savior. Um, also from an IT security world, they're also a danger because they can contain um, lots of malicious files. Now, I know that, and I'm sure most of you know that, and I'm sure that all of you, if any of you have picked this up, you'll go home and virus check that first before you put it into your business PC. But that is through education, that I know that. Now, what needs to be done here, because if we have a system whatever it is, whether it's on a ship or even whether it's in a port, whichever, there needs to be this user education. Who's actually going to be responsible for getting that education in place, first of all, that a crew member has to be careful what they do with one of these, they have to be careful with what they do with one of these. Um, who's responsible and who's actually should be responsible for maintaining that education as time goes on? I can't just buy, here's my firewall. If I put that onto a ship now, it's going to be useless in about a month's time because something new would have come out. Where do we actually continue this? Who, you know, who, who's actually responsible for maintaining the education for all, not just crew members, but also for the people who are administering it? Uh, does anyone want to go first on that question? Stephen. Our observation is that uh, good cybersecurity uh, does not start with your technical people it starts with ownership. In the case of the public sector, good cybersecurity starts at the board. Uh, we've observed with publicly held companies that approximately 60% have taken the initiative of forming a formalized board committee or subcommittee to deal with data security and cyber issues. We think that sets the tone for the company. From the standpoint of good corporate governance, Today, in publicly uh, released financial disclosures, uh, we find that there is often voluntary disclosure of the steps that have been taken to deal with data security issues. The potential financial loss of a mistake caused by a $3, uh, $2, euro and a half. Um, uh, something like that could cause a cascading uh, loss to many owners and because of that, 
we think that boards need to set an example by appointing members who have good backgrounds in data security, who have the authority to seek information from managers about the steps that have been taken. So rather than starting with the CFERA and working your way to the top, we think the effort needs to start with ownership and management providing the financial resources that are necessary to uh, uniformly throughout an organization uh, promote good uh, data security. So just going back to one of my earlier questions where we talked about standardization and regulation, could an insurance companies, well, insurance companies start leading the way in terms of what must be done? I think there's a danger to let the insurers uh, mm -hmm. lead the way. Yes. Um, I just say that after dealing with them for 45 years. <laughs> but I, I would say that uh, they might inspire action, uh, again, getting back, uh, uh, Howard, to your 200 vessels. Mm. If we find that most of them have that $80 of preventive sort of equipment in them, uh, the insurance companies will respond with a very unfavorable rate. And in that case, they will be a good incentive and create some urgency for you to step up your investment and your education uh, within your company. Okay. So I'm very conscious of time, but I've got one last question that I want to put towards uh, Johan, actually. Um, so in the recent years, we've all seen that uh, satellite operators have increased uh, available bandwidth, which has started opening it up to more applications. Uh, one of the big things is talking about telemetry, uh, performance monitoring, proactive maintenance that can be done through this. So my question for Johan is, there's lots of scare stories going around, some true, some not so true, about how someone can access and control a ship. If we're starting to get more of this essential data, what risks are we going to start seeing behind that and what can, what can actually be put in place to mitigate those risks? Well, I, I guess the, the first risk comes from the, from the communication, satellite communication itself, and I'm sure that you know, the satellite providers you know, and, and the service companies there are, are doing their, their mm -hmm. part in, 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 in there. Uh, but, but I would say that you know, the, the data as such is not the problem. You know, it's, it's what, you know, the transparency of data is one thing. Uh, I guess the, the question is more about uh, you know, how can, for example, vessels be um, hijacked, for example, by, by satellite links. I guess the data itself you know, can, be, can be used and, and mistreated in many different ways, but I guess there, it's a different problematic when we get to the autonomousness of, of, of vessels and then you have a possibility to actually start uh, manipulating them through the, through, through the satellite networks or, or whatever that may be. Um, I, I think that, that that obviously is a big threat, and we have to take it. We have to take it, it, it very seriously. But on the other hand, I mean, let's let's not forget that the, maybe the biggest risk today is still the human. I mean, you can do a lot of damage uh, if you're in, uh, the right person in the right place on board a vessel as well. Mm. So it's so it's a it's a mixed picture. Right, well, I'm afraid uh, my time's up. Um, I did think of a few more questions, but um, I'll save that for a coffee break. So I'd like to thank my panelists very much um, for their time, and thank you.